Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Ben Croker from Put Your Lights On. And we've got Ben on today because Ryan is off wearing his mankini vacationing somewhere in the South Pacific, is my understanding. And uh, we're going to do a little stand-up where we're going to talk about a couple of things, right, Ben? Yeah. How dare he go on holiday when you have a when you have a show scheduled? I mean, it's unheard of. <laughs> It's very irresponsible, to be honest. But <laughs> So, Ben, I'm feeling really good today. I got to sleep in today. It was magnificent. My son came in my room in the morning. I normally drive the kids to school in the morning, so I have to get up in time for them. And I was actually up late working on something. And he came in the room, and he said he was feeling a little sick, and he wasn't going to school today. And I was just like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I just rolled over, and I went back to sleep, and it was glorious, Ben. <laughs> it was absolutely glorious. And if you hear any weird noises while we're doing this podcast, I got a couple of things going on. I live in an area with a bunch of trees. I live kind of in like a grove of trees. And we had the second highest winds ever recorded from some freak system that came in. And so I've got people that are taking all these trees down. A couple narrowly missed the house. Thank God they they didn't hit it. And then also I've got this ongoing battle with squirrels. All right. So I work out of a barn and apparently some squirrels have moved in. I went into the back area of the barn, like the unfinished area where my office is not. And there's a little model of the house that the people that owned it before us, they built this model of the house because they were expanding it. And the freaking squirrels got into the model of the house. They they tore up the insulation and they put it in this model of my house and they nested in a mini model of my house. <laughs> it's like they're planning their grand takeover and this is the the preparation for it or something. And I've been hearing them run. There's like a little crawl space above the roof. I've been hearing them run and, you know, fighting over nuts and stuff. They've been driving me crazy. So I've got some people here that were building a rodent barrier around the barn. They're digging like kind of a moat around the barn and they're putting basically fencing in there. And then they're plugging up all the holes and they're leaving eight traps. And we're, we're going to catch all these freaking squirrels. <laughs> And apparently, I didn't know this, but squirrels, I guess because they're fuzzy and cute, they're protected. So you can't just kill them. You can't just set a trap with poison in it and kill them. You have to catch them. So they're going to be caught and released at this place called Canisius Lake. It's like a vacation area. So if you hear any weird sounds, Ben, that's all of the squirrels and the, the people digging the, the <laughs> moat and all the crazy stuff that's going on around my house. So what, this this assumes that squirrels burrow underneath the soil, like under the under the the down into the foundation rather than just like hopping off? Off a tree onto the roof and finding their way in that way because that seems a bit more plausible if I'm they do both okay. they do both they definitely do like i've seen the areas that they have dug underneath to get in so they definitely do both but they also the barn is sealed off so there's no real way for them to easily get in and in addition to that barrier they're also fortifying the rest of the barn to make sure that there is no way for these little suckers to get in so. okay well man if I'm honest, I wouldn't condone killing them, so I'm, I'm glad they're being sent away to to their re- retirement home. Or sounds like they're equivalent of uh, the equivalent of where where Ryan's gone uh, for his holidays. Right. <laughs> well, listen, if you wouldn't condone killing squirrels, you have never lived in a place where you have squirrels infesting your home. I guarantee it. I have not. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, listen, when I was a kid, I used to, I literally used to have to walk about a little over a mile to get to the bus stop. We lived in kind of a, a rural area and the road was really hilly. A bus couldn't get on there. And there was a lady that lived down the street and her name was Roma Gans, G-A-N-N-S, I believe. And actually, if you Google her name, she's a children's book author. So she's mm-hmm. a sweet old lady. She lived in a house that her 
husband built for her and she wrote children's books. And we used to visit her sometimes when we were coming to and from the bus stop and she would give us candy. So we called her the, the candy lady and she's really sweet. She read us books and everything. There's this one Gans. time I was walking. Roma Gans. Yeah. So we were, we were walking up to the, her house one time and I heard these gunshots going off. Like, and it turned out that she was out there with a shotgun just plugging squirrels that were gnawing on her their wooden roof. She was just blowing them away. It was kind of an in, a childhood trauma of mine. Oh, wow. But, but they're protected in it, in it, there where, where you are. And actually, you, you said that you had some of the windiest weather you've had in years. And that's, that must be saying something because you're near the Great Lakes, right? So it right. regularly blows there. It's usually not too bad. The thing with squirrels, they're not protected, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're everywhere here, man. They're not an endangered species. They're actually invasive. Yeah. They're just classified differently, I guess, because they're cute. But they're rodents. Yeah. Then they're rodents. That's what they are. They're just rodents that have cute little tails and they look cute because they're eating their little nuts. But man, they can gnaw apart your house in a heartbeat. They they can be brutal. Well, it sounds like they're plotting something up in your in your ceiling, in your loft. <sighs> anyway, one of the things that I do with Ryan pretty often is we talk about a word origin. And I wanted to bring one up to you because this has special meaning. It's near and dear to your heart. It's called the euro. What is <laughs> a euro, Ben? A euro is um well it's the currency that the that every country in the European Union that has opted into the euro currency is uh, using as its currency of trade. And it was introduced wait, where are you going with this? Before I like start taking this seriously. Are you do you have are you winding me up here? Are you pulling my leg? No, no, continue. Continue. Okay. No, it's a very serious topic. Okay. So yeah, so it's the, the form of currency that most of, I don't know how many of the European Union countries are using. Uh, some of the countries decided to stick to their to their own currency. So Sweden, Denmark, the UK when they were in the Euro, uh, obviously, stuck with the with the British pound. That's it. That's what the Euro is. Well, what is the plural of Euro? So if I gave you one Euro, obviously that makes sense, but what yeah. if I wanted to give you two. How would I say that? The correct way to say it is two euro because it was agreed, I believe, when they came up with the name for the currency, they also came up for the plural and they said, well, not every country puts an, you know, not every language puts an S on the end to indicate the plural of a word. So it's just going to be euro regardless of whether it's one or multiple. And my understanding is that this is a pet peeve of yours because I remember I was with you a long time ago and I said, you know, here's two euros or whatever. And you're like, no, no, it was in the middle of a cab ride or something. And you're like, no, (laughs) Andrew, this is very serious. (laughs) <laughs> that is incorrect. You cannot say euros. That is incorrect. Is that right? I did say that, yes. You okay. can say it and people will understand you. It's not like people are not going to know what you're talking about. Like, what, what is this euros thing you speak of, Andrew? And people, for example, the British very often will say euros, but hey, they use pounds. So whatever. All right. Well, I did my research, Ben. I got bad news for you. Go ahead. It is the official stance that in English, both euro and euros are correct. Though euro tends to be less popular in everyday speech. However, the EU legislators use euro. If you're not one of them, here's the advice from a freelance editor. Use the version that you like. Chances are you already have a strong preference. However, it is written into the style guides of Merriam-Webster, Collins Dictionary, Cambridge Dictionary, dictionary dictionary.com, etc., 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 that euros is the correct usage of the word euro. And in fact, they originally introduced it. They wanted it just to be euro because they didn't want all sorts of weirdness in singular versus plural on the currency. But as soon as they did that, a number of countries 
France, Slovenia, Spain, and Portugal, they made their own pluralized version of it, and English did the same. So it actually, it's only technically correct if you're doing it in the context of legal or European commission work. In everyday usage, everyone is totally fine with euro or euros. I'm sorry, Ben. I don't want to I don't want to have to do this to you. Are you saying that you're our cab ride was not a legal setting in which we were discussing legisl <laughs> legislative manners, matters? I'm I mean. sorry, Ben. You're going to have to accept that, the, you know, there's a there's a little bit of uh, flexibility you're going to need here. You're going to well, need to be a little, little tolerant. I think this is a case so back in my day back in my day now, i think oh, this is a case go. of the usage of the language dictates you know the definition of of how things are then become officially used it's, it's like javascript or any of these languages right or php where the way that the the language is used it dictates the evolution of that language and i think this is just a case of that too where people started saying euros and then they said okay well this is acceptable too well i'm just letting you know in a lot of style guides and a lot of usage, they say it's totally fine. And it's not just English where you might use euro and euros. It's also in a number of other languages, apparently, where the singular differs from the plural because it's more natural for their language usage. So change, change, Ben, change. I know. I'm you working on my. I'm, I'm working on my tolerance, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking. At, you're you're looking at. It, you're like, oh man. As far as I'm concerned, it's still euro. I don't care. <laughs> I'm using underscores for all my private methods. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> right. All right. So that's our little word stuff. Well, why don't we get into some more tech stuff? So you had a couple of things that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, Craft 4 on the horizon, or more than just on the horizon. We actually have a beta. I think we're at beta 2 now with, yep. with a hopeful launch date of, what is it, May the 4th. I believe. They're and hijacking the Star Wars day, which is, it's cultural appropriation, Brandon. I think you're not good. Anyway. Yeah, I was pretty floored when I when I put two and two together, actually. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but we have that on the horizon. And for me, at least, that means basically asking the questions, well, what does this enable? Not just in terms of what can I build with this? What can I use craft for? But what can I add to my plugins? And it also got me thinking again about how craft can be used in the broader sense. Um, so we think of craft as a web-based content management system, which is what it is at its core, and it's probably the, the most common usage of it. Uh, but we actually did an episode back in late 2018, believe it or not. I had to look that up because I couldn't believe it was that long ago. Uh, so we had a, an episode here, Craft CMS 3 as an application platform. And there we talked about, yes, Craft is a CMS and you have plugins for it, but you can think of it as not only a platform for building websites on, but you can actually, due to its extensible architecture and the way that you can use plugins and modules to essentially do anything, you can think of it as also a framework for developing content-based web apps on top of as well. And obviously, with the introduction of the GraphQL API and headless mode and all of those things throughout the Craft 3 minor version releases, we saw it kind of evolving more and more in that direction. And it's three and a half years later, so maybe we could revisit what has changed and and now with Craft 4 on the horizon, how that is has introduced even more possibilities. Let me ask you a question, Ben. What do you think about the new versioning system and release schedule that Pixel and Tonic uses? So everyone that was in the ecosystem from the Craft 2 to Craft 3 upgrade remembers that, especially for plugin developers, but also to some extent for people that were just building websites, it was kind of a major update and it was a lot of work to convert it over. What they're doing now is they're doing annual releases. So there's going to be a major release 
piece of craft every year. And you can think of the scope of the changes in those releases as being more like a couple of minor versions of Craft 3 kind of put together. So they're going to be there's going to be a major release every year, but the the delta or what has changed is going to be smaller. What are your thoughts on that as a plugin developer or just as someone that builds sites with Craft? Their changing of that versioning system and their release schedule. I welcome it very much. And even the the 3 the 3.1, 3.2, those kind of minor releases. Even Brandon Kelly has said, you know, some of those probably should have been a major release due yep. to the nature of the the features that they packed in there. And some of them uh, maybe had some small or minor breaking changes. I'm sure some of those features would have been easier to add if, if it had been a major version because they could have broken a bit more and maybe they wouldn't have had to try and maintain that reverse compatibility, backwards compatibility, I should say. But I welcome this for, for several reasons. For one, it's it's a, just a more predictable model. So we kind of know that Craft 4 is going to be supported, I believe, for, for two years and then for another year of security updates, if I haven't got that wrong. So, so we kind of have a timeline that once you commit to a version of Craft, you know that that's going to be supported for X number of years and you know how long that's going to be. And you also know how, how long you have until the next major version is released. So you can prepare for that. You can, If you're an agency, then you can build it into your maintenance schedule, for example. So I think that's that's good across the board for everybody. As a plugin developer, I'm especially looking forward to being able to put updates out there more regularly that take advantage of the features the craft introduces. And this is one of the big things, I think, that that this long cycle, because it's been four years, right? Four years since Craft 3 was released. And you and I both try to when we're pushing updates in our plugins, we do our best to maintain backwards compatibility. So you can go back and use this as far back as three, in some cases, 3.0, in some cases, 3.1 or 3.2. Craft is now at 3.7. And the tricky thing there is that if they introduce a feature in 3.5, for example, and we want to take advantage of that in one of our plugins, we either have to say, okay, you can only install this plugin. Now this plugin now only works from 3.5 and above, or we have to kind of just compromise and say, okay, we can't take advantage of this feature. So we have to we have to continue doing it the old way, which which means that there's often some legacy code left in place. Or there is maybe an in-between, which I think you've used a few times, Andrew, which is where you have a conditional, you check what version of craft is installed. And if it is high enough, then you can use those features. And that will work sometimes, but with features that are really close to the metal or very involved, it's not really feasible to be doing that. So, so as a plugin developer, I look forward to being able to kind of modernize my code base more often. And it means that then for every major version, it will be a less painful update because there'll be less to basically rip out and throw away. And they'll be able to continue keeping on top of the the, the nice additions that Craft makes. So I'm going to get back to that. But I want to mention that from my perspective, them using this new versioning scheme, mm-hmm. the number one thing in my mind is that if this makes it easier for the Pixel and Tonic team to manage the project, then I'm all for it. Like forgetting about everything else. If this is something that it gives them a little more structure, a little more routine so that now if there is a major breaking feature, they're not going to introduce it in a point release. They can say, okay, well, it's just next year that we have to wait and we can put these things together. So my number one concern is if this is something that makes it better or easier for Pixel and Tonic to do the things that they need to do. Like that's 
I think that's fantastic. I agree with you that a reliable and dependable release schedule is really important because then you can plan maintenance, you can plan updates, you can do all that kind of stuff. It remains to be seen, I think. They say they're going to be annual releases. Let's hope they are. (laughs) And this isn't a knock on them. It's just software is software, you know? If you have a fixed release date for something, the only thing you can do is cut features to meet that release date. There is no other way to do it. You have to say, this is the the date either from a marketing concern or a public concern or, or whatever, and we're going to release this. And I think it was great that Pixel and Tonic came up with a roadmap, showed us what we're working on. But we also saw the reality of this in that they think there were eight major features that they had kind of planned for four that just didn't make the cut. But that's the reality of doing software development when you're on a release date schedule. Like that just is what it is and it's going to happen. What you were talking about before in terms of versioning, one of the reasons why I have done in my plugins where I will check for a specific version of Craft and only then enable that feature is that I've just seen the way that people work with Craft. They tend to keep the updates. They're not necessarily they're not necessarily always updating to the latest version of Craft. I think they should be. But I also understand from the perspective of a you make a website for a client and they don't want a maintenance contract. You know, it's just there. It is what it is. I wanted to be able to add these features in a way that people could continue updating my plugin, getting bug fixes, et cetera, et cetera, without having to force them to update to a new version of Craft. Now, it remains to be seen whether that is actually worthwhile doing. It's certainly I'm going to have to do it a little bit less, I think, with the new versioning. Sure. The one thing it does, it does let you modernize stuff, right? So now you can say, all right, I'm going to target this for Craft 4. But on the other hand, it does make you maintain a separate fork of the plugin, right? Because you're going to have to support and issue updates for Craft 3 plugins for whatever your term is. I'm doing a year of updates and then a year of security fixes, which matches what Pixel and Tonic is doing for Craft. Okay. I when think I Craft- said two years plus one year, but it's it's one year plus one year. One year plus one year, unless they've changed it recently. So it's possible that there will be three versions of Craft that you are going to have to be doing stuff for your plugins at any one time because there'll be the the current version, which is Craft 4. And then next year, there's going to be a Craft 5 in beta that you're going to have to start porting your plugins to. And then you'll also have Craft 3 that will be in the security fix phase. Now, the nice thing is that this phase is down, right? There'll be less and less support and less and less work that needs to be done on the older versions of Craft as the newer versions are coming in. But it also does add complexity from that point of view in terms of you have to juggle these different branches and make sure everything's in sync and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a trade-off, but is that a trade-off that you think is going to be worth it? I think it is going to be worth it. I mean, my my perspective is that once a new major version comes out, there'll be a feature freeze on, on the older version. So bug fixes obviously will continue and security updates, that goes without saying. But any major versions will go into the current so the, the 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 version of the plugin that works with the newest version of Craft. Uh, so if there's a I don't know a version of Blitz that's now working with Craft four, that's the version that will get uh, new features. And the reason for that is because the new features that are going to go into Blitz four, which works on Craft four, are going to be they're going to take advantage of these you know new Craft four features for the most part. Well, let's say you've got this cool new feature for Blitz that mm-hmm. it's just it's 
really cool. Maybe it's the stale while revalidate, which is sort of a kind of a nerdy technical thing, but basically means that when the cache is broken, it will continue to serve up cached pages while it's rebuilding the actual new cache, which is a wonderful feature for static cache sites. And you, you got it implemented. It doesn't depend on anything craft for specific, and it will add so much value to your users. Does part of you want to be able to make that work in the, the craft three version? Well, funny, funny you should bring up that example, because that is exactly what I'm working on at the moment. And yes, it is tempting. It is tempting to say, well, you know, why should all of the craft three users miss out on this? If it is really a feature that doesn't touch any of the anything new that has been released in craft four, then I would consider it. That's for sure. But I'm not sure if it's a feature that is so in demand that, uh, you know, everybody who's on craft three is will be, you know, We'll be looking to try it out straight away. So I'm not sure if there's such an urgency on that kind of thing. But well, I mean, it would be perfectly valid to say to them, if you want this feature, update to Craft 4. Right. And the now, idea the is, thing- right, the idea is that the update from Craft 3 to Craft 4 should be rel- relatively painless. And therefore, why would you not, right? Um, especially once we have a stable release and maybe after a little bit of time has passed and everything has kind of settled down, why would you not update to Craft 4? Uh, the only reason would be that there's something major holding you back, but that probably has to do with some custom modules or some plugins that haven't updated. And hopefully that right. will just be a matter of time before before those are updated. And I do think that the update from Craft 3 to Craft 4, even though it is much more minor than the update from Craft 2 to Craft 3, I also think it's going to be probably one of the quote-unquote worst updates, only in that every plugin and every custom module very likely had to have some kind of refactoring done for it to work. It's very possible that the Craft 4 to Craft 5 update will require no modifications to the plugins unless they touch on certain areas of craft that they have changed and refactored and, and done stuff with. Right, and a big, uh, it's, it's, a big part of that is the switch or the change of the minimum required PHP version, right? Because we've gone from 7.2 to 8, and then they've added some strict typing. So so there is that requirement. And very likely when Craft 5 comes out, maybe the minimum requirement will go to 8.1, but there, there's less of a justification to actually introduce breaking changes for plugins. Well, even if it just required PHP 8, we still wouldn't necessarily have had to update any plugins or custom modules or anything. It's only because they decided to add typing to the classes that Craft offers. And they did that for a very valid reason. I mean, typed languages are just so much nicer. I've actually had it happen that a couple of bugs that have been in some of my plugins for forever have surfaced because I've added typing. And I'm like, oh, crap, like this shouldn't be this shouldn't ever be a string like something is, is definitely wrong here. But it's because of that typing that they've added that is breaking things. And they're doing this once. And then that breaking change that kind of affects everything is not going to be there going forward. So it probably will only be plugins that are, you know, let's say they do matrix in matrix or some other complicated thing. It probably will only be plugins that are really intimately tied with the inner workings of that, that will require an update. Whereas most plugins from craft four to craft five, probably you just have to change the the semver in there, you know, just mm-hmm. change it to the, the version of craft that we work with and away we go. You talked about the roadmap and having to kind of let features go. I think it's also good to remember that the craft four roadmap doesn't necessarily mean these are all the features we want to get in the 4.0, the stable, the first stable release. I think my assumption is that they've prioritized the big features or the features that will break something or anything. And therefore they've decided, okay, let's prioritize those. Let's get those in the 4.0. And maybe there are things that got left behind that they can 
do in the 4.1, 4.2 if, you know, if it makes the cut? Well, currently their roadmap does explicitly say 4.0. So maybe that's something that they need to change in the roadmap. I, I think it probably should be 4.x or yeah. any pending features. And I think they just ran out of time. I think that developing something like this in a decent sized team is just a lot of work and they're juggling lots of stuff. And I think they just plain run out, ran out of time. For sure. The, and it, it's good to see though. I, I just want to say that they stuck to the promised timeline. So I would prefer that they do that and just like yes. let a few features go than just push out the timeline and push it out and push it out. Oh, I, I'm in 100% agreement. You know, like I said, I, that's just the way software development works. I've been doing it forever. And if you have a hard and fast date that something needs to be out by, there are always going to be features that end up on the cutting room floor. Like that's just, just the way that it works. And it's just because software engineering is such a complicated thing. A lot of times you don't know what you don't know. You have to actually get in and try to solve the problem before you really have any idea of how long it's going to take to solve the problem. It's just it's kind of a, a catch-22 situation. But the, the issue that we're talking about in terms of people wanting to take advantage of some new feature in the plugin. I don't know, like people might be stuck on Craft 3 because they're using their own internal hosting system and their IT department doesn't have PHP 8. So it's just a no-go. They're just not going to be able to update. And I think that it's something that would encourage people potentially to pay plugin renewals if they see that they're continuing to get these updates that add value to them. You know, this is a reason to continue to pay these renewals. Now, since they're only annual renewals, that probably is a little bit less of an argument because realistically, there's going to be a major new version of Craft every year. I'm just saying that they people may lag behind in updating and my modus operandi, even though I encourage everyone to always update to the latest version of everything, is if I can add a little conditional in there, I want to make that available to them. Now, I'm in a situation that is a little bit different and it's of my own making. It's my own little hell, Ben. But I've been working on a pro version of SEOmatic for quite some time. And I'm in a situation where it's not ready to ship with Craft 4. So I'm developing it for Craft 3. And the plan is that I'm going to make that available for Craft 3 as well as for Craft 4. And I think that's going to make sense because it's a major new feature and it's an additional pay tier as well. And there may be a number of people that are using SEOmatic for Craft 3 and they would love to take advantage of some of the features that are in there. But for whatever reason, at the current time, it's a no-go to force people to update to Craft 4 in order to be able to use this thing. So I'm sort of stuck in a situation where I probably am going to be adding features to older plugins. I obviously will also be adding specific things for Craft 4 where they make sense. I don't know. I guess part of it is just like Pixel and Tonic, we have to get used to this whole new release schedule and landscape and have it all shake out and see what it means, you know? Right. I think I think the Craft 4 updates for plugins are going to fall into two camps. One is going to be like, it's just a compatibility update, right? So so this plugin that you were using on Craft 3, you can now use on Craft 4. And then I think some plugins are going to do a lot of refactoring. An example of this might be Craft Commerce, for example. Craft Commerce now, you know, they've pulled the addresses field out and that's going into Craft Core. There's a money field as well and unauthenticated, I think it's unauthenticated users they're calling them. I don't know because that, that term has changed so often. But whatever it was that customers were in commerce are now going to be core users in craft. So there's a lot to overhaul there. Another example is the campaign plugin, which is one of mine where I'm taking advantage of new features in craft four, which have to do with custom element types being able to have their own drafts and revisions. So you can have versions of your of your campaigns. And not only that, I can apply the same logic to other element types. 
like contacts, where contacts can also now become users. So I think there will be plugins that just have a small amount of changes, and it's mostly a compatibility update. And then you'll have others that are, you know, a big refactoring for the purposes of taking advantage of what Craft 4 has used. In this case, it sounds like you'll release SEOmatic 4, which will be a compatibility update, but you're in the background. I, I'd heard murmurings. So you're working on a, a, a new pro edition, which will which is a big feature that will go into both, which which makes sense. It's like a I, I was gonna say I don't think the majority of people update plugins or pay update subscription fees for features. I think most people pay them for the bug fixes and security updates. But every now and then something does come along. In this case, it sounds like it's a different edition. So there might be an upgrade fee anyway, rather than a... Right. Yeah. Well, in general, I think people pay for value. And that value can be bug fixes. That value can be new features. That value can be support. It can be any number of things that would motivate people to, to then pay for the updates to these things. I think that for people that are looking to convert plugins or modules over, what I would generally recommend doing for just about anything is get it working first. Do what you were talking about. Get a compatibility version that it's the same thing that runs in Craft 3. It now runs in Craft 4. You've got that out there. People can then start doing what they're doing with it and then work on any Craft 4 specific stuff that you want to add. Now, I know that you're not doing this with campaign. I understand you're, you're, you're taking a different route. I'm just saying in general, I think that's the best way to do things. And it's the same with any kind of engineering, let's say performance optimization. The first thing you do is get it working and then you can you can do some metrics and see you know where the bottlenecks are and then you optimize it you know what i mean get it working and then make it work great for craft four in general if you're listening to this that is probably the easiest route forward and it will keep your users waiting the least they'll be able to immediately adopt craft four and start playing around with it i understand you're taking a different route with campaign because it uses custom elements and it's very integrated and you're also very enthusiastic about checking out the new features and using them so with any rule, there is an exception. But in general, I think that doing as little as possible to get it up and running and then going back and refactoring it or going back and then adding uh, adding features that are specific to that craft version is probably the way to go. And that's what I'm doing for all of mine is I've got compatibility releases. I'm adding typing in there in most places just to make it easier for me to catch bugs. I've caught a number of bugs just by adding typing to various things. And then I'm going to be building any craft for specific additions on top of that. Right. The, the only thing I would maybe add to that is if there's something that you know you need to break in terms of your own plugins API, then this is, you know, according to semantic versioning, you should do that in a major update, major version. So that, that's the only thing that might you might want to consider as well. Do I plan on breaking something down the line? Let's break it now. And when I say break, I just mean, you know, deprecate or remove something that very likely is not being used. Uh, but as long as it's part of the public API, you should really only do that if possible in a, in a major version. Yeah, and I have found generally porting plugins to Craft 4 to be pretty painless. Mm -hmm. It's not so bad. I did a whole bunch of them by hand. And with the aid of PHP Storm, that really was pretty easy to do. And I have been adopting Rector now, where I run Rector to do the first pass through. And then I go in and I tweak stuff or add my own types here and there where I want to. And I found that workflow to be quite easy. The one thing that has taken a little bit of time, I think I'm, I've got 27 plugins and I think 20 of them are ported. And the ones that are left, I've been 
what I did for, is I did all the paid plugins first, and then I sorted the plugins by popularity. Like I want to have maximum impact, and I just started going down the line. So the ones that are, are left to do are the ones that only have a couple hundred installs and probably don't impact that many people. What has been taking more time than anything else is that I also have been modernizing some stuff as I go. I've got a documentation system that originally was using ViewPress, and I built the documentation locally. And then I switched over to use VitePress and have the documentation built via a GitHub action. So in the process of updating my plugins, I've also been redoing the documentation system for all of them, modernizing some stylistic bits of the code that I just kind of want to be the same everywhere and converting it over to build the documentation via GitHub Actions and then plugging that into Algolia Doc Search. So every plugin that I do, the amount of time it actually takes to convert the code is trivial generally <laughs> compared to the the infra that's around it. But one of the things that I found is that if I try to make a lot of things the same everywhere, when I go back to look at it in a year or six months, whatever, it just is much easier to get back in there. So I'm willing to do the work now to update everything to do that. I did have one particular plugin that I wanted to mention that I think you might find kind of amusing. I have a plugin called Template Comments, which is a plugin that it's similar to what Drupal allows you to do, which is that it will put comments in your code that show you where the blocks of HTML come from. So you can say, okay, this block of content comes from this block called content and it's being rendered by this template, you know, wherever it is. Right. And especially when you're approaching a new project, it makes it so easy to figure out where stuff is coming from. And it also has performance timings and stuff like that in there. Well, Craft 4 is using Twig 3 and that plugin was completely broken <laughs> oh, <dang>. because, <laughs> because of some of the stuff that they did. So I, I spent some time trying to refactor it and get it working. I ended up getting it working. And the fun part is, Ben, that I, I removed so much code because I looked at the way that I did it and I'm like, yeah, that worked, but that doesn't work anymore. Twig doesn't allow you to do this anymore. There's no way that this can work. And I'm like, oh man, I was going through, I'm sure you've been there where you're late at night and I'm, I'm going through the, the twig code and node parsers and I'm like nested deep in this. And, I, and then I took a step back and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? There's an easier, better way to do this. So I deleted a whole shitload of stuff from the code and improved it the way that it works now. And it, it was wonderful. It was a great feeling. And yeah. I wanted to tell people about it, but no one was going to care. So. <laughs> That's the best though. When you figure out a better way to do it, it means you can like delete a whole bunch of legacy co code that was, well, I don't know if it was necessary or not for that version of Twig, but, but now you know that you've modernized your code and it's working the way it should be. Yep. And that plugin is ported and it's working on Craft 4. And that was the one that took a decent amount of time because I had to refactor everything that I was doing in there. And I had the feeling I was going to need to because a new major version of Twig and the way that it integrates with it is a little bit specific. Basically, the way that it works is that when a, a block is rendered, if the template comments plugin is running and it only does this in dev mode and, and under a whole bunch of conditions, so it never will happen on production. What it does is it replaces the block renderer with my own renderer basically. Mm -hmm. And so I can add the performance timings, I can add the comments and do all that stuff back in front. And there were, <laughs> I was writing my own twig template loader so I could get the name of the template and say, okay, this template is here. And what I found out, man, is the... <laughs> Inside of the inside of the Twig node class or, or something like that, you can just do this get template name, and then you get the name of the template. And so I'm like, oh, Perfect. well, I can just use that, and I can delete the loader, I can delete all this crap that you know was causing problems, and, and away we go. So Very I was pretty cool. satisfied about that. Interesting. I haven't. I know that yeah, that version of Twig changed, but I haven't had any issues with plugins. So so that was you won't. pretty great. I think the only thing was that one of the namespaces changed 
couple of namespaces changed. But besides that, nothing else. One thing that I did notice, there was, because we're being required to use PHP 8 or or higher, well, currently it's 8 or 8.1, I did notice that there was a, some PHP benchmarks were released on a site called kinsta.com. And maybe we'll, we'll share the link in the show notes. But it actually did benchmarks across all sorts of frame, PHP frameworks and content management systems. And they did one with Craft CMS 3.5. And the results were, I don't know how accurate this was because they tested the login page and the login page, so the admin login page of Craft. Mm. And that page is is quite unique because as far as I know, it has a random delay, probably not in, in terms of loading it, but in terms of submitting the form. So I'm not it sure does, if, yeah. if that had an impact, but I can kind of read off the the results of this. It's it's better if you actually go look at it because it's, you know, it's better to see these visually, of course, but they measure with benchmarks and performance, they often are measured in requests per second. So with, with 7.2, sorry, this is now PHP. So they were benchmarking different PHP versions, of course. So PHP 7.2, got 75 requests per second. And this is only relevant relative to the other results, right? This isn't, you wouldn't compare this against WordPress and say, oh, one is faster than the other. You just compare each framework or, or CMS uh, with, with the other PHP results for it. For it. So 7.2 was 75 requests per second. 7.3 was about the same. 7.4, there was an increase in performance up to 81 requests per second. And then in PHP 8.0, it jumps up to 417. And in 8.1, it jumps to 443. So just to just to reiterate that seven PHP 7.4 was 81 requests per second and PHP 8.0 was 417 requests per second. So that's a more than a 5x performance boost. So I would take this, these numbers with a grain of salt because you'd probably have to test multiple pages in, in multiple environments to really get a good number. But but that's pretty impressive that just, you know, updating the PHP version can have such a significant impact. And I'm not saying it's going to be 5x across the board, but if it's 2x, I mean, that's pretty amazing already. And this is not even using the JIT. So they did not enable the just-in-time compiler, which oh, is really? something that I've yeah, which is something that I've been enabling. Uh, they say that in general, it probably doesn't apply that much to things like CMS in terms of performance. Uh, I've done a little bit of benchmarking, nothing informal, but it does seem to be better. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, what the hell? I'll just turn it on. Right. And everything's been working great. Like in the, the plugin dev environment, it uses the JIT in there. And I, mm-hmm. I've been using that all over. So it, it works good. But yeah, that's, that's wonderful that just updating to PHP 8 will give you a performance increase, most likely. Yeah. I've noticed, I'm looking at the page now, their chart does not match their benchmark results. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that. Do you see what I'm talking about? I have a screenshot of the results. So I'm not able to interact with it, so I can't really tell. But those results do seem too good to be true, don't they? So if you go to the actual page, the chart says that it's a little above 200 requests per second for PHP 7.2. Oh, yeah. And then you go down and you look at what they have down there. It has 75 requests per second, which is weird. Like, I don't I don't know which is right, but the chart does not match the results that they're listing. Also, either way, the chart, if you look at the caption of the chart, it's saying 3.7. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the deal is. (laughs) I don't know which is right. But either way, let's say that it is the chart is correct. It's still almost twice as fast yeah. in terms of the number of requests per second, which you know if you've done any kind of performance optimization, if you can get something that's a 2x increase, that is massive. It's huge. Yeah. That is massive. 
Yeah. Yeah. Usually you're struggling for, you know, 10%, 20% better. But if you can get something that just updating to that gives you that kind of boost, I mean, that's amazing. So in addition to that, of course, one of the things that Craft 4 introduces is performance improvements in the in the control panel, especially when saving entries that have a significant amount of matrix blocks. So I think that was an issue with Craft 3 since they regi- since they introduced auto-saving was that you get, you know, auto-saving in the background. And if there are all these matrix blocks and related fields, then they have to be saved and duplicated in multiple places. So they've made some big shifts in Craft 3.4 where matrix blocks and other block types actually can have multiple owners. So so they don't need to go and deep copy or deep duplicate entries. They can just duplicate the entry itself and whatever blocks have changed. So I think from what I've heard, that is making a big, big difference to people who have uh, struggled with that in the control panel previously. If you have a lot of matrix fields, and especially if you have a lot of sites that have Mm. these matrix fields on multiple sites, it was pretty horrendous. Like it would slow to a crawl because it would propagate these things every time something was saved and it would really, really bog things down. So that is a great performance improvement in Craft 4 for people that are using matrix blocks with multiple sites, or if they're using nested stuff like Neo, Supertable with matrix blocks, it's a massive improvement for people that have that kind of a setup for sure. So one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, Ben, is that you are someone that have done a decent amount of content creation in one form or another. So you've created a number of blogs on security. You've created a whole host of recipes for Sprig, and you've created all these things. I wanted to talk to you about your your impetus and your approach to doing that kind of stuff, because I, I also have created a bunch of content. We're creating content now, right? We're doing a, a podcast recording stuff, right? Absolutely. I'm a little bit behind, man. My last blog post was actually in December, I think. So I usually average about one a month and a combination of other work that I have picked up and also investigating stuff for Craft 4, porting plugins, all that kind of stuff. It's just chewed up my time and I'm making a conscious effort to get back into it. I've got this mythical article on matrix facades that in theory was going to be published, you know, at the end of December, still not out. I'm planning on getting that done. What is your approach to content creation? What have, and what have you found to be the benefits of doing that? Because it's something that whenever you publish something, I think lots of people benefit from it. Whereas if you just learn something and you keep it to yourself, well, it's it's kind of just you. Right. Well, there's so many different forms of content creation. Like you said, this is one. So, so even though you said you're behind on your articles, you're still doing these stand-ups and Dev Mode FM podcasts and the live the stream. Quest live streams. Yeah. yeah. So so you're still putting lots of content down, out there, including tweets and, and whatever you're doing on social media. I mean, my take is... Exactly what you said, you know, if I'm learning this, there, because as developers, we're constantly learning. Uh, there's no way around that. There's no way around, you know, we're basically problem solvers. And the only way to, to solve a problem that you have no idea about is to, you know, do a deep dive and learn about this thing or learn as much as you need to. And in my experience, one of the best ways to learn about it is, you know, you take notes and at the end of it, you have all these notes that you can keep or you can go through the process of sorting those and processing what you've learned by kind of explaining it as if you would kind of be explaining it to somebody else. And while that's a lot of work, because <laughs> it is a lot of work to take what you've learned and, you know, yeah, write it up in a format that other people can then learn from that. I think it is very beneficial. I mean, I'm sure you've done this. 
I've done this tons of times where I'm working on something and I'm like, oh, I did write an article on that. And I go back and reference my own article. So that's always a good sign for me that I, I put something useful out there. Um, oh, absolutely. I go back and <laughs> I'm trying to do something. I'm like, I know I did that. And I go right. back and I look at it. I'm like, oh, OK, that's how I did it. All right, cool. Right. So in one sense, it's a form of note keeping, right, uh, to, to your future self and to future other people. But I do find that the process of turning that knowledge into material that other people can also benefit from has the added benefit of you kind of reprocess it yourself and then you can come back to it at a later time. And I, I, For sure. I, I would love to be more self-disciplined about it, but I'm, I know that I'm just not. And if I force myself to sit down at the, at the keyboard and start, you know, typing words, then just garbage is going to come out. So I do it when when I feel like I have the time and I want to share something or I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've just learned this thing and the best way of solidifying that learning would be to put it down in, in words. And that's when I decide to release this if I think it would be relevant to other people. That's when it works best for me yeah. is if I'm still all hot and bothered about this cool thing that I did or this problem that I solved. If I sit down to write it then, I'm still energized about it. I'm still pumped. I want everyone to know about it. If for whatever reason I let it rest and a couple of months pass, I'm less motivated to do it because it's just you know i'm on to the the new thing and i just yeah it's not the same so the, i, I the try to strike while the while the iron's hot yeah yeah i the, try to strike when the iron's hot yeah exactly the timing exactly. is key and, and if you get the timing right then it, it almost writes itself right it still needs to be proofed and edited but you know it just kind of comes out in one kind of <laughs> in one uh, swift load and <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna say something bad i know you were <laughs> I could tell by the look on your face you had some kind of metaphor there. It's probably not PG-13. All right. And then you clean it up and then, and then you put it out there. Oh, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. But you mentioned something earlier that I think is really, is really key and is really interesting. Is You mentioned that we're all constantly learning and your job fundamentally is problem solving. And I've had people that I've talked to that they they feel down on themselves because they're, you know, I'm doing this thing and I feel a little lost. I don't know what I'm doing. Literally, your job description as a problem solver is not knowing what you're doing. That is your job. If, it, if you knew what you were doing, it wouldn't be a problem. You would just sit down and you would bang it out and you do it. So I think it's important for people to understand not knowing what you're doing is your job description as a developer because you have been given a task. You, you're not really sure how to do it. You may feel lost, but that's what you're supposed to be doing. So don't feel bad about that. That's something that every single developer, no matter how skilled or experienced, unless they're doing the same thing repetitively over and over, that's something that everybody feels, right? Absolutely, yeah. And the, the major skill here is learning how to figure out the problem, like learning how to figure out what the problem is, first of all, and then how to go about not not necessarily solving it, but, you know, figuring it out. And then it, then it kind of the solving it is, is just something that, that happens, um, happens as you it happens as you break the problem down and you figure out what the the aspects of the problem are and you start solving these little problems. And it reminds me of there's someone who is a, an, an exercise guy on YouTube or whatever. And, and someone asked him, you know, what's the what's the most important thing to do if I'm thinking about starting a, an exercise program? And he said, start. That is the most important thing. It doesn't matter whether you're you know everything that you're doing. It doesn't matter that you're doing everything perfectly. What matters the most is that you start. And I think it's the same with problem solving with developing is start doing it by the virtue of starting that process. You'll begin to uncover it. And most of the time, it ends up being that the problem is not nearly as bad as you've made it out into your mind. You just have to start. Yeah. 
I agree. I'm going to try my best to get this Matrix Facade article out. I've got that. I've got an article on documentation with VPress that I've been wanting to get out for forever. And I've got a whole number of other things that I want to start making time for. What happened is exactly what I described, where I solved the problem, started the article. I was all hot and bothered by it, but I had a bunch of other stuff going on. And so I put that aside and the fire just dwindled a little bit. I still think they're they're really useful and it's something that people might really be interested in, but the it's it's just not quite the same. You know what I mean? Uh, totally do, yeah. And I've seen the Matrix facade stuff, so I think it is really interesting. But I get it. Like, if the fire's not there, then... it's It'll get there if I start it again. If I sit down and I start to write it again, it'll rekindle. It, it's okay. It's not It's not out. There's still a little ember burning there, Ben. It's not a big deal. We'll, we'll get the fire going again, you know? I have these articles that I put out. What was it called? Securing your craft site in 2021. Now, obviously, we're not in 2021. And this was supposed to be a four-part series. I wrote parts one and two both in January <laughs> 2021 and three and four just never came so I'm, I'm thinking of just you know starting over <laughs> so you're, you're like that uh R.R. Martin guy the Game of Thrones author that has kept everyone waiting for the the final couple of books in the series for like a decade or two right <laughs> I don't know if anyone's waiting for this but <laughs> I know about it I know that they're missing well it's something that once people see it they probably will be really appreciative so you know, I did actually have I... somebody recently say hey when's the next part coming out that's why that's why it's fresh on my mind actually but well, maybe but you like and you I could said, motivate each other well security is like this never-ending learning topic right it's like this huge field and I had a, a long phase last year where I was very interested in it not just security but also privacy and privacy I'm still very interested in but different things have come up and my mind is completely somewhere else now I'm like so deep in code and refactoring at the moment that I don't think I could do a deep dive on security right now. So the time will come, but I, I blame to, HyperScript. I'll just, I'll just have to rename the the title of that article. Well, maybe you and I could do a little uh, motivational thing. You know, maybe we could have a little wager on who gets the the next article out first. If it's if it's article, regardless of what it, it's about, yeah, we could do that. I mean. Don't, don't you know. dare put out a little article that just details your your current trip or your over the Alps like it's got to be something substantive because the mine are gonna be I just don't know if I can compete with you you're constantly putting stuff out there it hasn't been since December that I put an article out you're catching me at a weak moment what do you think want to do a wager your next security article versus my matrix facade article I think I've learned Whoever my gets lesson. it out first I've learned huh? my lesson with with taking wagers with you what are you talking about I don't, I don't know what you're talking about Ben. <laughs> no exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about <laughs> Uh, I recently won a little wager with Brandon Kelly, too. I got to collect on that one. <laughs> but that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review. We'd really appreciate it. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Ben Croker. Brendan messaged me and he said, you know, are you going to watch that Apple event tomorrow? And he, he said some offhand comment about how it was going to make my current machine obsolete. So he was kind of like jabbing at me or whatever. And my son, for whatever reason, is really into following Apple rumors and all this kind of stuff.
And Brandon was thinking that they're going to introduce a new Mac Pro. And I asked my son about it and he said, no, all the rumors say it's not going to happen. So I put a little wager with Brandon about whether it was going to happen. So we're watching the event and it was quite a sweat because they introduced this new chip where it really looked like the the ultra, whatever. It looked like this was going to be for the new Mac Pro. And then it ended up being in the studio. And then at the end, the guy was like, and the one thing we didn't talk about was Mac Pro. I'm like, oh, here it is. Great. I'm going to have to ship Brandon some money. And they said, but that's a topic for another date. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like I should have to cut my son in on this or something. 